Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0, the mental health podcast that's changing the discussion one voice at a time. Featuring guests that will help end the stigma and keep talking mental health. And now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Joe Lombardo. Hey, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us here at Voices for Change 2.0. Good morning! Unless you're in Europe, in which case, good afternoon! <laughs> so, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we hope that on this last weekend of May, it finds you happy and healthy, somewhat, anyway. Yeah. You know, trying to stay on the positive, pleasant good side of things yeah for yeah. sure it's been a struggle but yeah you know and and we were thinking about it the other day and i personally haven't left the house since what did we figure out february February, yeah haven't not have not left the house that entire time and it totally blows my mind i mean i'm glad because it's scary out there right <laughs> now but um, at the same time, it it feels sort of strange. Feel very much like a hermit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's you're not missing much out there, babe. I'll, I'll tell you. You know, um, it's been weird times. You know, going to work and going to the store here and there for essential stuff, and you know, now with things opening up more. Um, you know, I've got mixed feelings about it. You know, I'm, I'm happy people are getting to go back to work and try to resume their lives in some way. But I'm also concerned that, you know, because of that, because I have customers opening up and people coming back, that it opens up, uh, you know, more exposure to COVID-19, you know, flaring up again. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really – I'm. I don't want to bring anything home to, to you or the rest of the family. So, yeah. you know. I, now that things are starting to open up, I want to go out even less. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. So. But we're going to try and get out uh, outside today and, you know, do some yardy stuff. It's it's nice here in the Detroit area. Um, it's a pretty day, not too hot. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so there's that. You know, and, um, you know, it's been a particularly tough week with uh, all this George Floyd business. And, um, you know, just want to say our hearts go out to his family and friends. And, uh, you know, it's just there aren't, there aren't many words yeah, that I can say. I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say about it. it it's. It just this is the very first time I saw that picture, and the look on the police officer's face, um, who was holding him down, just it it creeped me out beyond belief. And I just I don't know, like you said, there's there's no words yeah. to explain the it's, the outrage and and the horrific circumstances in which that man had to die. It's it's absolutely unbelievable to me. Yeah. So um, that's about all we're going to say about that for for the time being. Um, you know, we don't want to get into. We don't want to bum anybody out. Yeah, and, you know, it's already a yeah, it's already a sad situation as it is. So, um, you know, just like I said, wanted to say that you know we're we're, we're putting our our thoughts and prayers out to his loved ones and um, we feel terribly that this happened you know we know this isn't a reflection of all the police out there but you know the police need to do better too mm-hmm. you know and you know I know this guy got arrested and charged uh, the police officer in the case did so that's 
that's a step in the right direction, mm-hmm. I think, you know. Yeah. Um, so on a lighter note, let's uh, let's change things up and okay. put some happy in the show. Okay. Okay. So, and the happy is going to come via our guest today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're really excited to talk to her. It, um, it's been a long time coming. I've been planning to talk to her for a very long time mm-hmm. and it just we couldn't get our schedules to mesh so we're excited today that we are getting the opportunity to speak to her we are meshed we are meshed absolutely <laughs> uh she's a licensed psychologist and an author and a mental health advocate and she has a very powerful presence on Twitter, which, as most of you know, is where I find most of our guests. And, you know, we are friends on Twitter, and I follow her. She uh, posts daily questions for people to get people... um, Engaged. Yeah, engaging in in her page. And um, I think it's a really neat thing that she's doing, because it, it makes you stop for a minute. You're like, hmm, that's a really good question. And you just kind of put some thought into it and answer and, you know, works out great for everybody involved. And um, and that's how we get new thoughts and ideas out there. And people, yeah. people get, feel like they've been heard, which is, you know, kind of a goal that we're going for too. Yep. She's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. So she's got it covered. <laughs> so, and, and she's got a delightful smile. Yes. Yes, a very nice smile. <laughs> so we would like you all to give a rousing round of applause. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Dr. Tara Sanderson. Yay. <laughs> That's super exciting. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure having you, Doc. And, uh, you know, it's... It, we we know you had to get up extra early to be on the show, <laughs> um, ba- based on where you are in the country in relation to where we are in the country, and uh, so we're just we're we're grateful that you did that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Talking about mental health is one of my favorite things in the world, so getting up early is not a problem. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Do you have any questions for us before we dive in? I don't think so. I think I'm ready and raring to go. Okay. Well, if anything comes up on your end that you want to know about us, uh, feel free to, to jump in and say, hey, what's your favorite color you or whatever it might be, you know. <laughs> you um, bet. Other, other than that, we're uh, we're going to begin the interrogation, uh, the questions. You want me to ask or yeah, you want to ask? Yeah, go for it. Okay. You're on a roll. I am on a roll. <laughs> I am I am on today. So, Dr. Tara, because we we don't know if to tell you, call you Doc or Tara or Dr. Sanderson or hey, you. So <laughs> I respond to go. all of those. That sounds great. Anything you want. <laughs> okay, Doc. So the question that we generally start our show out with, and it's kind of become – our de facto first question for most people, especially first timers on the show, is where does your mental health journey begin? Wow, that is a great question. That's why we ask it. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, looking backwards, because hindsight's 2020, right? I love that little phrase because it's so true. When I look backwards at my life, I think that I always struggled with anxiety and perfectionism, all the way down to like, kindergarten and first grade coming home and wanting to see this look on my parents' face that I did okay and that that meant I was okay um, and that I strived in school to be as the best I could be. I compared myself to my brother and my friends. At the time, I don't know that I would have really recognized it, even up through high school. I don't know that I really would have recognized it as a diagnosable anxiety disorder but I definitely can look backwards and see that I struggled with wanting to know that I was worth it, wanting to know that someone else noticed me and that by doing enough, I therefore was enough. 
And that was, you know, it, it's shocking to talk about now and, and think that who I am today and what goes on in the world today, that, you know, there's so many people who struggle with layers of mental health issues that stem from longstanding need to feel connected to each other, to feel enough, to feel worth it. I uh, I totally get that. Yeah. You know, that really, that speaks to me on a very particular level. Um, you know, my parents, when I was growing up, um, and my grandmother too, because my grandmother lived with us when I was uh, growing up, um, I didn't get the usual discipline that most kids our, our age got, you know, like spankings and you know, timeouts and, and whatnot, just if I screwed up something, my parents were disappointed. And that was almost, mm. the you know, a worse feeling than anything, you know, just like that mm-hmm. feeling of, God, I, I've let them down, you know. Um, and so, yeah, you, you get this sense of, well, I, I need to do the best that I can because I don't, you know, I don't want to look worthless in their eyes and, you know, it kind of puts a, a unrealistic expectation on you, especially as a child. You know, having having thoughts like that, and you know, it it kind of messed me up a little bit from from a certain point of view, at least for a long time. Yeah. You know, and then and then I reached a point where, uh, you know, later on as I got older you know, things like uh, negative reinforcement didn't work on me, you know. Mm. Um, If someone tried using negative reinforcement of some kind, I would just like, well, screw it. I don't care. And I'd take my ball and go home, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, They tried saying, you know, well, you know, you can do better. You're not good enough, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, and this isn't my parents at this point. This would be like teachers, coaches, what have you. Sure. And it's like, well, it's fine. I don't, you feel that way about me. I don't need to be here, you know? So that, and that's kind of my, I don't give a bleep attitude about a lot of things now because of it. So mm. it's, uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah, weird. it is. It's amazing to me how, how just some of those small interactions have such long lasting effects in our psyche mm-hmm. and in the way that we interact with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in your in your formative years, you know, when you're still mm-hmm. learning and, and finding your way and whatnot. And it's funny because you know, Beck and I have talked about it on the show tons of times, and our I'm sure our, our regular listeners are tired of hearing about it. But you know, our, our niece and our great niece live with us, and you know, we're taking an active role in helping to raise our great niece, who's as of this week a year and a half, you know, one and a half years old. And yeah, she's adorable. Um, but I, I'm conscious of. I don't want to make, you know, my parents. I had a, don't get me wrong. I had a great upright uh, uh, upbringing, and my parents were incredible, and I I loved them very much, and and still do to this day, you know. But the mistakes that they did make with raising me, I'm cognitive of not wanting to make those same mistakes, you know. Um, Absolutely. I don't, I don't want her to feel like she's got to do something just to please me, you know, because mm-hmm. um, then, because then you get bitter as you get older about that type of stuff. You Absolutely. Know, you, you, at least I did anyway. So you feel free to jump in anytime, babe. I'm just listening. It was, it was a good little uh, conversation you were having. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Tara, what is the uh, main thing that you treat as a physician? I am, uh, as a clinical psychologist, I work with all sorts of mental health disorders. uh, But the ones that I really love working with are folks who struggle with anxiety and perfectionism because it speaks right to my little soul. Um, And then my other focus is teens. Um, Teens are such an underserved population when it comes to mental health issues. Because we chart so, or we chalk so much up to angstiness that's normal in teens, and we're not super good at pulling apart like what's teenage angst and hormonal and stuff, and what is actual depression and anxiety and stress 
um, and PTSD and all sorts of things. So I, I focus a lot on helping um, teens and their families uh, figure out the best ways to navigate the world that is today and not the world that their parents grew up in, as well as um, really own, you know, what, what is true anxiety and what's teenage myth. <laughs> I think you still have some teenage myth that I walk around with. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> um, that and that's that's a uh, that's great that you have that focus too. Because one thing we've discovered over the couple last couple of years of doing this show is that it seems like a lot of the things that you know people we've talked to on here, uh, back to experience, um, most likely in in 2020 hindsight of my experience that things start to manifest uh, mental health-wise in your teens. You know, you you have all these hormones going on, things start changing for you, and you don't know what the hell is going on, and, you know, you feel all these emotions suddenly very intensely, you know, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it seems like that's where it starts for everybody. Yeah. Is there we have we do have a few guests that we've spoken to where it started when they were, you know, nine or nine or ten years old and And some that were in their twenties. Yeah. But um a, a lot of people uh, I would say the majority of people that we've interviewed, uh, everything started to hit them around seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. you know that, that's that's it's funny. The the question I first asked you, where's your mental health journey begin? Nine out of ten people, it's well, you know, back in my teens, I mm-hmm. felt this way. It's like, yep, you know. So that's you know, the, again, the fact that you're concentrating on that particular group um, is, I think it's it's you know, very much needed. And like you said, you know, it's an underserved uh, segment of the population. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we're always advocating, you know, education and, and whatnot and teaching, you know, certainly teenagers, if not younger, you know, about good mental health and, you know, mm-hmm. finding better ways to, to handle things than, you know, stuff like self-harm or, you know, binging and purging or, you know, whatever you might be afflicted with, you know, um, different, different coping mechanisms. You know, there's a lot healthier things to do out there. Yeah. Absolutely. I talk to a lot of my clients about this idea of a, of a coping skills staircase. And that as we grow, we learn new skills to cope with all of our emotions. And when we're babies and super young, some of those basics are going to be crying or, um, you know, or laughing when somebody makes a funny face at you. Um, Like we have these basic responses to what goes on, you know, in our physical being. And then we grow and grow and we learn things like I can ask my mom for milk instead of sitting, you know, and crying I can, you know, I can throw something and that will get my parents' attention. I can do these things and we get reinforced as we grow. Some people somewhere along the line take the shortcut of using drugs or alcohol, using cutting, um, using all sorts of maladaptive behaviors because they also work um, as coping skills, but they cut short our progress in, in using better ones. And when we are full up and we are feeling, you know, like we're, we're at our best, we have access to the full range of our coping skills staircase, all the way up to asking politely or, um, excuse me, um, or, or getting things that we need by uh, bartering or paying for things or whatever it is. But when we're not at our full capacity, like during a pandemic, half of our coping skills staircase is kind of wiped off the map. And we really now only have access to a few things that work. And when we then have struggles with mental health on top of it, sometimes that decreases us all the way down to our lowest and most basic steps or to some of our cheat steps of, well, if I can't feel good about all of these things, I might as well feel good artificially using drugs or alcohol or other things. Which is a lot of the conversation I have with teens of like, 
you know, smoking sounds like a really good plan. You know, it keeps weight up. It does these things that you think are really positive. But at the end of the day, you're just avoiding the hard work that is being a human. And that's kind of a cheap step to being able to do things the way that we want to be able to do them eventually. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I remember just from, you know, my experience, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade friends smoking all the time, me trying it. And, you know, I think I had maybe one or two cigarettes that entire time. And I was like, how can you do this? This is just gross. (laughs) You know, Um, of course, too, my dad was a smoker just about all his life. And, you know, I saw what he went through dealing with it, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, heart attacks and and whatnot. And so that was a good deterrent for me. But, you know, not everybody gets that, you know. For sure. So what what would be your your advice for anyone that's currently struggling with mental health issues, whether it be, you know, an adult or a, a teenager or even the parent of a teenager? What kind of advice do you offer? The first step for me is always to ask a couple of really big questions. And one of them is, what's the voice in which you speak to yourself? Um, that really links back to self-compassion. The more we beat up on ourselves, the less we're able to really be um, compassionate and understand the circumstances that we're in. There's sometimes in my office when somebody will say, well, I don't know why I can't just get my stuff done. And I'll look at them and say, okay, well, let's just throw out a couple of things. Number one, pandemic. Okay, that's, an, that's enough all on its own. But you're also going mm-hmm. through some relationship distress. You're also trying to raise a teenager during a pandemic. You're also trying to complete school and work full time. Like any one of those things is enough to say, gosh, I'm having a hard time getting my stuff done. And it's okay that I am. Building mm-hmm. that self-compassion, making sure the voice we use to talk to ourselves is kind. Because it needs to be in order for us to get through the really hard times. And then the second piece for me is all about data collection. Being aware of what it is that you're doing that's contributing to your mental health and what it is that your mental health that's contributing to you feeling like this is not how you want to live and making sure that you're really being clear on both of those aspects. So the side of us contributing is things like, am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating correctly? Am I getting some exercise? Am I spending enough time with people who treat me well and love me? Things on the opposite Mm -hmm. side of, of that is, you know, the things that we not necessarily can control right away of like, how many times is my brain as an anxiety brain going into these what if spirals that get me so knocked, get the wind so knocked out of me that I can't function the way that I would like to and tracking those behaviors and tracking those things so that you can start to see your like your personal configuration and then start adapting so that you're able to start saying, okay, the more I sleep, the less I have this. The more I eat well, the more this happens in my life. Or for me, it was the opposite. I realized that really I only need about six hours of sleep. When I have eight, I am groggy monster. I am not a very nice human. I need only six. And so when I started limiting that piece of it and engaging in other things, I felt like a better me. And that just took some data collection for me to figure out. That's uh, that's fascinating, actually. Yeah. You know, uh, having to take, you know, because we all learn about uh, correlations on stuff, you know, well, if this happens and that happens, but applying it to, you know, your your what you're feeling and and what you're personally going through, that's that's a really neat concept. Mm-hmm. You know, like saying, well, you know, if I sleep too much, then I can't do this. Or if I, um, if I eat too much of this bad thing, then this is going to happen. You know, just putting those kind of correlations together. I mean, that's, that's a great, that's great advice. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very behavioral in a lot of my uh, therapy kind of interventions. For me, our life is really just one big experiment. As we learn and grow and try new things and see what works and see what doesn't, we can then replicate the things that work 
and start decreasing the things that don't work. But if we're not aware of which one of those are, we're just going to go with whatever's easiest. I think as humans, we're kind of inherently lazy. We would really like for it to just all come to us magically instead of have to work for it. And when we do that, we aren't as successful in being the people that we want to be. So we do have to do the work of data collection, realize what's best for us, and do the work to make that necessary. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, and what you were saying earlier, too, about um, how we speak to ourselves, uh, that's, that's a tough one, you know. That's I, really something I need to learn. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm 47 years old, and I still don't really know how to do that correctly. I still beat myself up consistently, so. Yeah, you know, both of us do that. Um, yeah. Not not to each other. I mean, we're, you know, <laughs> she, she's, she's pretty awesome to me, and I'm, I think I'm pretty awesome to her. But, mm-hmm. yeah, our, both of us, our self-talk is just, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm hard on myself at times about things. Other other times I'm, I'm pretty forgiving of myself and realizing, okay, well, you didn't get this done, but, you know, you had a particularly rough day at work. You're wiped out. It'll keep until tomorrow, you know. Okay. Um, but situations like with Beck, you know, she'll beat herself up over something. And I'll have to remind her, well, you know, you had this happen. You had that happen. Um, you know, she took a spill the other day and has been very achy, you know, in various mm-hmm. parts of her body. And, you know, to have her be like, well, I, I didn't get up and do this or that, you know, and, and just hearing her, you know, complain about the, the physical aches and pains, you know, and it's like, I have to remind her, well, you know, you, you take a traumatic spill, you know, it's okay that you didn't get up and do this or that today. You're in a lot of pain, you know, and then that kind of, kind of slows her down on her tracks a little bit. And she's like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes you just need to hear it from somebody else. Yeah. You know, before before it sinks in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of one of the, the cool parts of being in therapy is coming into that space kind of giving all of yourself and opening up all of those pieces and hearing somebody look at you and say, and you're still okay. And you're still, you know, a resilient human. You're going to get through this. And kind of get that, like, deep breath sigh that says, okay, okay, I can do this. We can mm-hmm. we can get through this. Yeah. 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 You know, realizing that you've, survived a hundred percent of the things you've been through thus far, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's not hearing that little, you know, being, you know, sometimes being told that from, from something not internal, you know, uh, that for sure that internal voice can, can mess with you if you let it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So, well, on that note, we are going to take our quick break Uh, We will catch you guys on the other side of Help You Fly by Tara Naomi. I know how misery loves her company. Got a party gather around you now. They come running from far and wide. But who's going to help you fly? They come calling when you're falling down Someone always pick you up off the ground Oh, nobody want to see you cry But who's going to help you fly? When I got the word to 
call on when the well runs dry But I just want to celebrate my life want to find someone to help me fly Whoa. Welcome back to Voices for Change 2.0. I'm Joe. She's Rebecca. She's cute as a button. You guys are missing it. You you wish you were me right now. She's so cute. Oh, my goodness. I love my wife. Um, and on the line, we have the lovely and talented Dr. Tara Sanderson. Hi, Doc. Hello, hello. How you doing? Doing good. It has just stopped raining out here in Oregon, so I'm getting to see some beautiful blue sky and it's, uh, it's turning out to be a nice day. Nice. Yeah, we definitely got to get out west again. Yeah. You know, we went out, uh, went to California a little less than a year ago. Laguna Beach. Laguna Beach. And uh, oh, that was, air. yeah, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where our hearts are at now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the... the <laughs> We we were there for a mental health conference, and even the uh, hotel that they put us up in, I still have the pictures on in, in the gallery on my phone, and I'll still, still sometimes go back and look at them and just be like, oh, <laughs> it was such it was so it was such such a beautiful place, mm-hmm. and I just I could have stayed there forever. Yeah, if you if you ever get the opportunity and, and you go you know, down south from where you are, look into the ranch at Laguna Beach. It's, the you know, free free advertising form. It's absolutely amazing. You know, um, the people there are very accommodating. The accommodations are amazing. They're so nice. They're unbelievably sweet. The food is fantastic. Yeah. it. I can't put into words how the food was there. It was just so good. We we still we still fantasize about the turkey sandwich that Beck had. Yeah, we we ordered room <laughs> service one night, and I got this turkey sandwich that was the greatest thing I've ever tasted in my life. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and we've been trying to recreate it every day since. And <laughs> failing miserably. Yeah, she she took a bite of it she's like you need to try this turkey and she rips off a piece of turkey and gives it to me and i'm like oh my god so and 
you know, we, we try and ask them and they're like, what, it's just turkey. And it's like, no, this is not. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this place, is just, you know, we, we will get back there one day. Yeah, for sure. We have Absolutely. To. You know, this is a, a moral imperative. <laughs> so. Uh, so anyway, Doc, um, please talk with us about your book and what it's called and what our readers can expect. What our listeners who will become your readers can expect. <laughs> there that made go. more sense. There we go. Absolutely. So my book is called Too Much, Not Enough, A Guide to Decreasing Anxiety and Finding Balance Through Intentional Choices. And I wrote this book because I started to recognize in, in a, during a couple of years of doing therapy with folks that I was starting to say the same thing a lot in therapy. I was starting to use the same tools. I was starting to give the same um, uh, advice on what they could do to live more intentionally and feel less anxious and less um, kind of intense about the choices that they were making. Uh, a lot of the times I use the term perseveration, where you just you think about this one thing that happened and it just rolls over and over like on repeat in your mind. And a lot of times we perseverate on a choice we made or why we did something or how we did something because we're unsatisfied with the result. And a lot of times it's because we blame ourselves for having it go wrong or having it not turn out the way that we thought it was going to. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that self-blame that can be removed and eliminated when we spend time prior to making the choice. Um, and, and choosing it intentionally, whatever it is, choosing it intentionally. In my book, I use a lot of examples of me with food uh, because, man, I love food. Um, we were just talking about that turkey sandwich, and I immediately wrote down the, the, the place that you guys were saying because I was like, the ranch, got to go get the turkey sandwich um, <laughs> because food is so yummy. That's the correct um, thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think that even with thinking about food intentionally, of how we're going to feel once we have done when once we have eaten whatever it is. I use the example in my book of like I absolutely can polish polish off a whole chocolate cake or a whole pizza. Like that is not actually hard for me to do. The question is is how do I feel after I have done it? If I'm going to sit there and blame myself and feel terrible and gross inside for the next eight hours, that may not be my best choice, right? But if that's the intentional choice I choose then that is my best choice. It is the choice that makes the most sense to me in this moment. And each moment I have to keep analyzing it. So I use this tool called Sober um, that came out of some addictions mindfulness work um, to, to really help people find the right choice based on the, the experience that they're having and what they want the outcome to be to help them not feel so anxious about choosing and not feel so much uh, uh, rumination or frustration or guilt or whatever after making the choice. I tend to think about choices being more like, um, more like the L.A. freeway, which for folks on the East Coast may not know the L.A. freeway as well. But the L.A. freeway has everywhere, and it's got these terms and off-ramps and on-ramps, and there's all sorts of ways to get where you're going. And to me – Dealing with life and choices is really all about making one, and if it's not the right one, you can always get off at the next exit, find your way back, and try again. There's no permanent choices outside of, say, like murder, right? Like, that's a permanent choice we make. But other than that, like, if you choose not to pay your taxes on April 15th, guess what? You can file an extension and pay your taxes later. Like, there's always a way. We just have to make an intentional decision to, to turn off the freeway and come back on. So my book talks a lot about those types of concepts and then goes into a lot about you and your worth. And I think that I spend a lot of time re-inviting us to think about that it's okay that we are who we are and it is 100% true that we have value and worth just by being, not by doing anything else not by trying to be something more, but just by being here, just by being human. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I really want to read your book. Um, it just, the, everything you just said speaks to me on a particular level 
it, it really does. Um, it just hits home, you know, because I'll yeah. do that. I will ruminate over and over again about something that I do or something that I fail to do or if I said something that I thought was okay at the time and then afterwards when I really mm-hmm. think back on it, it's like, oh, why did I say that, you know, or why did I say that to this particular person or, you know, just different things like that. You know, I that's one way that I know I beat myself up too is mm-hmm. – you know, thinking about, you know, these things that I have said or done and what the consequences, you know, the the consequences don't always hit me at the time of my actions, you know, and I'm trying to do better with that. But, you know, I I could definitely use some help with that. Mm -hmm. So could you possibly... Could you possibly give us a few tips on managing anxiety and stress? Sure. So one of my favorites that I use all the time, and any of my clients who listen to this will absolutely be speaking truth to this, is I use the term uh, big T truth versus little T truth. Um, so I use capitals to give you know a, a, an idea that this is an important thing or a not important thing, right? Um, hmm. And the big T truths are things that are really irrefutable. Like this is how it is versus our little T truth, which is a belief that we have because we either don't have all the facts or it's been what has been told to us our whole lives, or it is something that we have kind of landed on and held on to. I, I hold a little T truth for myself that I am lazy and I, I am not sure where that concept came from like if I dig back into my past I'm not quite sure where that first hit but I now as a human like that is that is one if I wrote all the characteristics of Tara on a list one of them would be lazy but anybody who knows me and sees what I do in any given day would look at me and say how can you possibly think you are lazy you're one of the busiest people I know I work a million hours I'm always doing something on my computer or my phone trying to better my business or better my uh, interns or think about things to do for my clients. I am not an actually a lazy person. The big T truth is I am somebody who is determined. I am somebody who is passionate. I am somebody who is going to do everything I can to make the world a better place. But my little T truth that I hold, that secret badge that I wear is, oh my gosh, I am such a lazy person. I will, I'll, I'll never get everything possible that I could do done. And therefore that's bad and therefore I'm bad in that camp right and Mm -hmm, I I really challenge that concept for folks who have anxiety is when they start telling me things like well what if they think that I'm stupid or what if they think this and they go through these mind spirals of the what if cycles or uh, the they comparing themselves to other people I try and drill down to like okay well what's the truth that you're holding that on like where what's the what's the line that you're telling yourself that you believe wholeheartedly at the moment and then let's analyze that let's figure out if that's a big t truth that we do just need to adjust and adapt and change or is that a little t truth that we need to you know really challenge and see if we can find something that helps us move from that like when i think about big t truths, i think about i have blue eyes i cannot change my eye color i could go get contacts but that doesn't actually change my eye color that's a part of who I am. That's something I'm not going to be able to magically make something different. But mm-hmm. I am lazy is not a big T truth. That's a little T truth that I have to adjust every time it comes into my mind. I have to challenge it and ask the question, what proof do I have that I am lazy? Who is telling me that I am lazy? And if it's just me reinforcing this little T truth, is that the truth that I want to live? Is that who I want to be? And if not, then I need to give myself some compassion and say in this moment when I'm resting, it's okay for me to rest. I work really hard. Resting is not lazy and challenge that, that piece of the truth. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That, um, (laughs) you're, you're hitting some stuff there, doc, with (laughs) with the both of us. (laughs) 
you know, that mm-hmm. just that hits home, you know. Um, and, you know, it, and it speaks to self-care, too, you know. Uh, that's Absolutely. something, you know, I, I find myself telling Beck all the time that, um, you know, when she's beating herself up for not, you know, getting up and doing something, you know, I'll say, well, you know, you are doing something. You're taking care of yourself. You know, whatever okay. this was that you wanted to do, it will be there tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you don't feel up to doing it today, then that's perfectly okay. You know, and for a lot of years, she would beat herself up if she didn't get up and, and clean up something in the house or, or what have you. And it, she, for some reason, coupled it to an expectation that I might have on what she's doing while she's home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been telling her for, for almost 19 years that the only expectation that I have is that she loves me. Right? Mm, yeah. It's hard to get around that guilt, though. And, and you know, I, I don't want to to blame it on my mother, God rest her soul. But um, it's a lot of it does come from the way she acted around the house. If, if myself and my brothers and my dad were all, you know, maybe laying around reading or watching TV or whatever, my mom got very aggravated that all we were doing was laying around and resting and not getting up and helping her. Mm-hmm. And every time, it didn't matter what I had accomplished that day, whether it was, you know, full-time job, come home, clean my room, do laundry, whatever, you know, I would lay down and start watching TV and she would get on my case about laying around and doing nothing. Yeah. And I think that's really, really been just, etched into my brain that and that I can't get get around it and you know like I said I, I I don't like to say anything negative about my mom I miss her like crazy but I wish she would have understood it a little bit better absolutely that's probably another tool that I use a lot is asking whose voice is this when when we start getting down on ourselves and we start telling ourselves things like I'm lazy or, or there's something more you could be doing around the house or don't just lay around. There's so much to do. You're not helping me. The expectation is you're always doing something. I start asking mm-hmm. the question, whose voice is that? Cause is that yours or is that this other voice in my head? Right. When, when you said that about your mom, the first thought I had was if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. And mm-hmm. my old, one of my old bosses used to say that all the time. His expectation was, if there's no customers in the store, you are vacuuming. And I remember there were days that I would vacuum for eight hours of that shift and be like, there's no customers, vacuum again. And thinking to myself, what a waste of time. <laughs> what am yeah. I doing? But his mantra was, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. And he absolutely did not want anybody just hanging around in his store. And thinking about that, when I get to the place where I'm leaning on a counter and I'm just kind of fussing around on my phone, and that pops in my head, I have to ask that question, whose voice is this? Because if it's Marty's voice, I don't need to listen to it because Marty's not my boss anymore. That's done. Mm -hmm. I quit that job. I'm out of there. If it's (laughs) mine, and it truly is something that, like, you know, I did have a to-do list of a million things I wanted to get done today, then I can ask myself the intentional questions of what do I want to do with this moment? Because this is just one moment of a 24-hour day. Do I want to spend this moment cruising through some stuff on Facebook, replying to some stuff on Twitter, or do I want to look at my to-do list and accomplish something else? Either is fine. Neither has more value or worth than the other. It's just which one do I want to do right now? And I just need to choose that intentionally. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Never thought about it that way before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, Doc, getting back to your book, um, where can our listeners find your book and what formats is it available in? Absolutely. It is on Amazon, um, and you can get it in 
paperbacks, hardbacks, uh, digital downloads to your Kindle or e-reader, and it is also an audio book. So hmm. you can find it any way you want. That's awesome and convenient. And what's the title again? Yes. The title is Too Much, Not Enough, A Guide to Decreasing Anxiety and Finding Balance Through Intentional Choices. Very cool. And that's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. (laughs) It is a a mouthful. mouthful. (laughs) um, Do you have any other writing projects in the works? My husband and I were really hoping to get a book out together this year. My husband has worked in the um, social service industry for uh, 15-ish years, Um, Mm -hmm. and we started talking after I had written my book um, about a a combined project we could do together on um, uh, self-sabotage. And we're super excited about it, but we had to put the project on hold for this year because I expanded my business to hire my first employee and expanded um, my student intern so that we could serve more people um, in our Mm -hmm. community. So my hope is to get back to that project as soon as this all settles. My first employee starts next month. Um, So Mm -hmm. hopefully once we get her in and settled, we'll be able to jump right back into that project. That's exciting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kudos I'm to you always for, in for love having... with Yeah. <laughs> I'm always in love with couples who are able to do stuff together. We've worked together actually for most of our careers since we met. Um and he actually works with me at my company right now. And uh, mm-hmm. I I was so excited to hear about your guys' podcast where you guys work together too on a fun <laughs> thing to uh, to help people who are struggling with mental health. Thanks. Yeah, it's you know, the the idea when we started this thing was going at it from the point of view of, you know, Beck being the afflicted and me being the caretaker and, you know, giving our insight. Because, you know, we were always getting getting asked, you know, well, you know, do you have any advice about this? You know, what can you tell me about that? Well, you know, different things. A lot of marriage questions from yeah. people who sure. have, have a spouse who is bipolar or borderline or or what have you, and and wanting to know how we were able to make our relationship so successful because of that dynamic, and mm-hmm. um, you know that's that's where we that's where we come from. Yeah. When when we're doing the show. Yep, and yeah. it kind of kind of morphed into something else, but you know, in a good way. Yeah. You know. It, it definitely became a bigger bigger thing than than it was originally yeah i uh i gotta laugh i'm sorry my my cat was just trying to get my attention by standing on my shoulder uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here all of a sudden i feel pawing at my back i'm like what and then my left ear i got <laughs> <laughs> so. i have uh, had a lot of fun reading some of the um the articles about people who are describing their uh, animals as coworkers through <laughs> while people are working yeah. from home. Have you seen some mm. of those? They're just hilarious. Yeah. Oh, those are great. <laughs> those are just funny. Yeah. My coworker, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> my coworker jumped the, in my lap and licked my face for 15 minutes today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, so the show is is unfortunately starting to wind down, and we haven't covered everything we wanted to with you, uh, Dr. Tara. But um, really quick, let's give out your social media so our listeners can track you down and, and pester you for scones or something. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, so for- my social media handle for everything is just Dr. Tara Sanderson. And the doctor is D-R, and then my first and last name, Tara Sanderson. So it's pretty easy to find me places. Um, I am pretty active on Twitter, as Becca said earlier. Uh, I really enjoy using Instagram to send out um, uh, wonderful quotes and get people talking about uh, motivational kind of things from these quotes or or challenging thoughts from these quotes. Um, on Facebook, I really do do a lot more articles about how people um, can navigate anxiety or depression or parenting issues with teens. Um, 
on, I, if you go on my LinkedIn, I am pretty sparse over there, um, but I would be happy to respond to someone should they desire to use LinkedIn as that place. And then on um, on Facebook, um, I'm just starting to get onto Facebook and put, uh, not Facebook, um, YouTube. I'm just starting to put mm. some stuff out there. So um, don't expect that to be anything super exciting just yet. Cool. It's a it's a good well-rounded collection of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I know we talked on our break about uh, you know you and your friend uh, kicking around the idea of doing a podcast. Um, one and if you you decide that you're going to do that, you know, definitely come back on our show. We we would love to hype that up for you. Um, Absolutely, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, and, and if if you have any questions for us about that, um, you know, call or message us. Uh, we we you know, we'd be happy to to help however we could. That would be amazing. Thank you so much for the offer. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're, you know, we're all in this together. That's kind of the feeling that that Beck and I have is you know we're all one big community, especially on Twitter. And you know, so we try and and be supportive and help out with stuff wherever we can. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, it looks like we are at the end of the hour. So um, we just want to thank you very much for coming on the show and getting up early and taking the time out of your day to spend a little bit of it with us. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, We'd like you to stay on the line. Everybody else, you're going to be listening to the song Beautiful by David Hernandez. And uh, we're so grateful for everybody to tune in. And thanks for being with us this week. And we'll catch you guys next week. And uh, have a great weekend. See ya. Father in the sky and they're starting to align. I see you passing by and we're slowing down the tide. Now my love is flashing by. All I see is flashing lights. Cause you're right here by my side. Can you feel it come alive? If this were a love song, would you be mine? I just can't get you off of my mind. And I think about you all day and night. So I wrote you a love song.